Good morning. I want to uh, thank you for the opportunity to share with you guys this morning. Um, and for everybody who's watching us online or watching this recording later, uh, there's a lot of people that join online, and we appreciate and uh, don't take for granted that you're with us this morning. So thank you. Um, this is not usually my, my jam, right? I'm uh, very comfortable in smaller group settings, as most of you probably are. So thank you for bearing with me this morning. Um, I'm excited because I have a lot of great things about the Lord to share with you this morning. Um, perhaps we can just pray real quick. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're with us. You're always with us. You came in with us because you're inside of us. We thank you, Father, that you're going to speak to us this morning, as you always do, about you, about your goodness, so that we can have confidence in you, so that we can have new life in you again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, something that... Um, is often talked about in church, uh, but maybe with a different spin, maybe with a different angle. Um, things that have brought new life to me. Are the things the Lord shows you that give new life to you, that, that remind you of his goodness all over again? Um, is it progressive for you in terms of from grace to grace, like you're just constantly learning new things about him that are just surprising to you, shocking to you, amazing to you? Isn't that good? Um, he's constantly wanting to reveal more to us, um, and it's all there in Scripture, and the Holy Spirit is always seeking to reveal to us more about himself, more about the Lord and what we have in him. Um, we're going to be referring to uh, the law today in the context of, uh, as context about what we're talking about, but maybe from a different angle than some of you might have heard. Um, and when we talk about the law, just so that we're all on the same page, no assumptions on what that means... Um, we're talking about the law of Moses. You know, the Hebrews were freed from Egypt. God rescued them in a mighty way by the hand of Moses. And then he gave them the law, right? We call it the law of Moses. It's famously the Ten Commandments, but really scholars have said it's more like 613 commandments. I'm sure you've heard something like that before. You're all keeping those, right? Yes. Um, got it. Uh, first five books of the Bible, the Jewish tradition calls it the Torah, right? In the Christian tradition, um, you often hear, heard phrases like the moral law, right? So uh, the law itself, all those commands, uh, contains a lot of civic or civil uh, ordinances, ceremonial uh, requirements and uh, traditions. Um, but in the Christian tradition, you hear a lot of churches talking about the moral law as kind of an encapsulation of the parts of the law of Moses that they like to say are still obligations of Christians to follow. Has anyone heard that before? in the churches you grew up in, or perhaps in churches you've attended. Um, so that's going to be uh, the context. Whenever I use the phrase, the law, that's what I'm referring to. Got it. I don't know how you consider yourself to be relative to the law, or how you considered yourself to be growing up relative to the law. Perhaps you considered yourself to be someone, perhaps you still consider yourself to be someone who's trying your best to be a good Christian doing all the things, living right before God, avoiding sin, living devoted to God, maybe giving properly, things like that, obeying all the commandments and so forth. Or maybe you consider yourself to be someone who isn't trying to be a good Christian. Maybe you don't feel like you measure up, so you're not really trying to live right by Him, by the law. You're not trying to avoid sin, maybe. Maybe you're not trying to live devoted to God. Maybe you're not 
trying to obey all the commandments and so forth. But regardless of which category you've considered yourself to be in, there's good news. God loves you. He loves you more than your mind can comprehend. <laughs> Starting already. <laughs> he loves you more than your heart can fathom. He loves you more than words can explain. Do you believe that? Regardless of which category you consider yourself to be in, whether you see yourself as someone who's doing pretty good, maybe, maybe doing a pretty good job for God even, or maybe you secretly doubt that God could love you because maybe you don't see yourself as worthy. But in both cases, whether you consider yourself to be right with God or not right with God, the basis of all of that judgment, the criteria, if you drill down to the root of that, the criteria you're using to make that determination about yourself has its roots in the law. That's not your identity. It's the, what we're going to talk about today is that it's the love of Christ, not the behavioral standard of the law that is the basis of your identity in God. It's the love of Christ, not the behavioral standard of the law, that forms your identity in God. In the New Covenant, God reveals that we are dearly loved by Him. Amen? And we're made righteous by Him. And this was accomplished at the cross and announced by His resurrection. You're loved by Him, and you're made righteous by Him. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) The law demands righteousness from people. You ever thought about it that way? But because the love of Christ, because of the love of Christ, we have been given God's own righteousness. So one requires or demands righteousness of you, the other supplies and gives righteousness to you. That's a fundamental difference. God described, though, when He gave the law to the Hebrews, a very specific condition that He gave with the law. See, when He gave the law, uh, He commanded Moses to instruct the people to what to say to their children when they asked about all of these things, right? They had a very uh, heavy oral tradition, right? So they carried things down orally from generation to generation. And he gave them the words to say to their children in conjunction with the law. He said, tell your children how he has freed us from the slavery of Egypt, how he gave us all the commandments of the law to obey, and then say this one specific thing to them also. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25. These are the words he gave them to tell to their children. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Did you catch it? 
It counts as righteousness for us if we are careful to do all of the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. They instructed the future generations according to God's command, but embedded with the law was this requirement that 100% obedience was required, not 99% obedience. Do you see it? They had to do all of it in order to be counted righteous. That specific characteristic of the law was echoed thousands of years later in the New Covenant. James, in chapter 2, tells us in verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in just one point has become guilty of all of it. (laughs) That's crazy. So if a person is innocent, you know the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots, right? We could just use the Ten Commandments. In fact, in the New Covenant, you see that over and over again where this is taught. If a person is innocent of murder but guilty of adultery, they are not just guilty of adultery. They're guilty of murder too, under the law. This is the point I'm trying to make, is that the law either makes you guilty of all of it or guilty of none of it. Do you see? Your grade on this test is either 100% or zero. You either get an A plus or an F right? The law demands righteousness from people. There's no partial credit. So why do we teach in some churches that obedience to the law is required of Christians, recipients of the new covenant, believers in Christ, those who've been washed and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb? Why do we still teach this as obligation to Christians? If we say that, oh, well, Brett, it's, it's not that we have to do the 100% thing. That's passed away. We have Christ, and we have forgiveness, and we have things like that. So we just got to do our best. Isn't that a watered-down Scripture? Isn't that watering-down Scripture? Isn't that saying, oh, the law really isn't that severe. It's just try your best. God wants to know that you're trying hard, right, that you're giving your best shot. God does not demand righteousness from you. You don't have any. That's the point. Amen? I'm grateful that I don't have to try and prove that I have righteousness because I don't. Not in myself. You see the difference? Only God is righteous and He loves you. He supplies righteousness to you, His own righteousness supplied to you through the love of Christ when you believe. We all know the scripture, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he was willing to do all of that for you. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, I, I'm going to explain a couple verses here and try to connect something for you that has been an enormous blessing in my life and continues to be an enormous source of joy and new life in my life. <laughs> um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we're familiar with this scripture, right? We preach this one a lot. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So the result is we become the righteousness of God. Kind of strange wording there, right? I'm sure you've wrestled with that a time or two. Basically, we were made of sinful stuff. Now, because of him, we're made of righteous stuff, right? But why did he become sin for us? Because he loves us. He became sin. What I want you to see is he became sin, your sin, my sin, all of the sin. Remember, we're not just guilty of a couple of things. We're not guilty on a technicality under the law. We're guilty of all of it. And so we needed a Savior. He became all of that sin for us, counted as guilty of all of that sin for us, taking our sin, dying for us, rising again to make us righteous. This is what I want to connect. He loves us, so he did all of that. He died, he suffered, he rose again, he forgave us to make us righteous. Do you see the beginning and the end there? He loves us, so he made us righteous. How did he do that? All the things I said. He died, he suffered, he rose again, he forgave. So when you see Scripture talking about he became sin, see the love of Christ for you. Maybe intuitively you already do that, but for some of us we're a little more, you know, reading the words on the page and caught up in our own mental thinking and our own analytical processes and things like that. I'm, I might be the only one that does that. <laughs> no? Good. See the love of Christ for you. Because all we did was believe in his love for us. Amen? His sacrifice, his blood reveals what love is. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this, we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. We didn't know what love was until we contemplated that he died for us. Oh, but we use the word love all the time. We love our kids, we love our spouse, we love our friends, we love food. <laughs> right? Maybe that's just human love. The love of God, we know God is love, right, in First John? God is love. And what he did revealed what love really is, what his love for us really looks like. Jesus dying for us is what love is. Jesus dying for us is what love looks like. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Did you see that phrase, justified by his blood? Justified means made righteous or made in right standing with God. By his blood is the picture of his sacrifice, the picture of what his love looks like. You are made right with God because he loves you. Do you see that? Sometimes we lose track of that. Sometimes it's an academic, I know he loves me. What does that look like? 
This is important because His love for us is what has been given to us in place of the law. This is what I want to communicate today. You don't need the law to know what love is. It doesn't even show you what love is. His love has already been shown to us through Christ. We don't need the law to please God. If you look at His love for you, you see you are pleasing to Him. He loves you because He loves you. And that changes you. That has power to transform you. That has power to make you come alive. We're justified, made right, in right standing with Him because of His blood, because of His love. See His love for you. Under the law, we become guilty of all of it. It's all or nothing. And because of the love of Christ, He became guilty of all of it, took our guilt so that we could be forgiven and free of all of it. It's because of the love of Christ. All right. The function of the law is to condemn the unrighteous. That's the function of the law. That's what it does. It doesn't make us righteous. It condemns the unrighteous. That is all the power it has to do. Through the love of Christ, though, God purposes to justify the unrighteous. You see the difference? The law condemns the unrighteous. The love of God justifies the unrighteous. When we see ourselves as unrighteous, we cry out to God. His love fills our heart. We see His love for us. That changes us. Suddenly, we're righteous. Not because we did anything, but because we simply believe. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, the law merely brings awareness of sin. <laughs> That's all it does. That's Paul explaining to the Romans who didn't even know the law. Well, you had the, the Jews in the dispersion, of course, but trying to explain that that's all the law can do. In Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 5, it says, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Him who justifies the ungodly. Do you see the definition of God there? That's who he is. Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteous. If you, that's why Jesus could say when that man beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, that's all it took. That's all it took. And Jesus said, which man is justified? That man is justified, right? Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and move on. So the next thing I want to say is the law offers no path for people to become righteous. It's through trusting in Christ's love for us that God's own righteousness is revealed as belonging to those who believe. By trusting in His love, it's then revealed to us that we are righteous because we believe. In Isaiah chapter 64, it says, all our righteousness, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. That should be the end of it right now. If you weren't convinced before now, Okay, you're still convinced about the law? You got to chase the law? Go for it. That's why Jesus was like, you've, you've heard it said, don't bring the law requirements down and make them easy. Keep them where God set them. You have to obey them all 
You have to be obedient to them before God, before the Lord your God. So in truth, right? And that's why he's like, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say unto you, right? The real spirit of the law is up here, right? So go for it. And give me a call when you're at your end, end of your rope. Because I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to remind you how loved you are in Christ. And that should be our response to anyone, right? That's all we have to give them because that's not how we were saved. We weren't saved by condemnation and trying harder. We were saved by realizing that's impossible. We need a Savior. Thank God He died for us, right? Amen? There is no righteousness at all available, achievable, attainable. Only God's righteousness exists. This really helped me, by the way. When you read Scripture, just like I was just explaining to you, like when you see references to the sacrifice and the death of, of Christ and the blood of Christ, see His love, when you read Scripture and you see the word righteousness, Old Testament or new, see God's righteousness. Like in 90, unless it says like a righteousness that's from the law, right, that's talking about like what you think you could hope to maybe achieve by the law, but that's not, doesn't exist. Otherwise, see the righteousness of God and then reread that verse. I promise you it's going to change your life. There is no righteousness except his righteousness. So it's talking about his righteousness, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Therefore, no one will be justified in his sight by works of the law. For the law merely brings awareness of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, as attested by the law and the prophets. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Such good news. And here's the clincher. God presented Him as the atoning sacrifice through faith in His blood. There it is again. His blood represents, it's the picture of His love for you. Faith in His blood is confidence in His love for you. Do you not have confidence in His love for you today? Do you need more? See the representation of His love for you. Revisit what He did for you. Go ask someone to remind you. That's what we're all here for. The law is powerless to help us. Don't go back to it. The law stands against us to remind us we don't have any righteousness. Faith in His blood equals confidence in His love for us. Remember, by this we know the love of God. All right. Here's a big one. The law relies on human love. I'm sure many of us, uh, especially those of us who've come to understand the gospel of grace and the impossibility of the law, have wrestled with what Jesus said about the greatest commandments. What is, what is that? 
and, and probably every church in America, and even Grace Churches, I find sometimes, preach some of the law still. Here's what I mean. Uh, let's visit the story in Matthew 22, starting in verse 35. We're all familiar with this story probably. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, asked Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and some say with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Did you see it? The repetition of the word your. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs all of the law and the prophets. What did the prophets foretell? Jesus. These com Jesus is in the same vein as he was before when he's saying, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say unto you, even someone who's angry is guilty of the same judgment, angry without cause. He's in that same vein here. He's saying, it's, you asked me what's in the law. All right, I'm going to tell you what's in the law. The apex of the law, all the 613 commands, are summarized in this. Love God with everything you have and hold nothing back. Nothing that you have, hold nothing back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Yours. But the prophet is saying, Christ is coming. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So I can't do it. But the one who can is coming. Who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength? The one who was prophesied that he would do it, did. Who loved his neighbors as himself? The one who was prophesied and foretold that he would do it. That's who did it. Why are we trying to do that? Well, because it's love. Aren't we supposed to love? First John, or excuse me, John chapter 13 Verse 34, the night before he was, the night he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Well, there it is, Brett. It's love. It's all love. But you see the difference now, right? Just as I have loved you. How did he love us? He took our sin, all of it that we were guilty of. He went to the cross. He shed his blood. He suffered. He died. He rose again. He forgave us for all eternity, washed us, cleansed us. Why is it a new commandment? Man, that was a hard one for me for a long time. Why is it a new commandment? Sounds a lot like love your neighbor as yourself, doesn't it? Love one another, love your neighbor. Same difference. No. Instead of viewing, what did, what did the uh, Pharisees ask Jesus in response to this 
commandment when he said, love your neighbor as yourself? What did they ask him? Who's my neighbor? Who am I obligated to love? That's what our flesh does with that commandment. We decide who we're obligated to love and who we're not obligated to love based on whatever criteria we think is correct. But in the new covenant, under the new commandment he gave us, he says, look, see how much I loved you. And love one another. We're not figuring out who we owe love to anymore. We're not saying, well, that person's not worthy of my love, or I don't really owe that person love. That person's not my neighbor. Oh, that person's lost in sin. I don't owe them anything. Instead, we're seeing ourselves as one another. We are one and the same. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Who were the lost? Aren't you the, weren't you the lost? Weren't you rescued and saved by his love for you? And you know how it was. And you've been changed by it and washed by it and cleansed by it and made new by it. You're filled with joy because of it. And we now see each other as worthy of the same love, deserving of the same love. Isn't that good news? This is the difference between trying under the law with our human love and being transformed and restored and renewed and made alive by God's love, God's love for us. It changes everything. We're made new. We're made alive. We finally have joy. We're finally free. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen? Amen. It's not love that we muster. It's love that we have to receive first and be changed by it first and transformed by it first, made new first. And then all of a sudden, we're loving people. Well, Brett, it's, it, I, I know how to love. I mean, I can love my neighbor. I love God. I'm doing lots for God, right? And a lot of us felt that way for many years, I'm sure. I've talked to you, I know. I felt that way. I'm working hard for God. I'm trying to show him my love. But he's not demanding love of you, just, not, just like he's not demanding righteousness of you. He wants to give you his righteousness and he wants to give you his love because that's the only hope for you and that's the only hope for the world. Let's not get it mixed up. Let's not get it confused. Let's not go back to human love because by this we know love. He died, right? You stand with me? Isn't God good? What I want you to see is that where some have said and tried to convince you that the law is like, you need that. You need that to be a good person. You need that to be right with God. To be in right standing with God, you need these rules and you need the threat of punishment because that's the only way to be right with God. 
You need to be sorrow about your failings versus the law, and you need to get it straightened out so that you can be right with God. That's always held over people. And what I want you to see is the love of Christ is greater than that. It's stronger than that. It's unshakable. It's the only way we become righteous in God. There is no hope in the law to be right with God. Only through the love of Christ do we become right with God. And the process is we look into it. We see what he did for us. It's unshakable. His sacrifice and his blood gives us confidence, confidence and assurance before him, right? Not the law. We know what that score is, right? It's only his righteousness that matters. It's only his love for us that matters. And now it's no wonder that everyone wants to try to separate you from his love. Even well-meaning Preachers, right? Separating you. Oh, yeah, we got the scripture. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But then there's the mixture. You also got to do all this stuff. Don't become separated because you can't be. Don't be separated in your mind because in reality you can't be. In 1 John, it says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And it goes on to talk about how if we have fear, it's because of fear of punishment. He's literally explaining that if you're still fearing in your relationship with God, fearing what he thinks of you, worrying about his opinion of you, whether you're right with him, whether he loves you, whether you're worthy. It's because you're afraid that you're deserving of punishment and that that's how he really is going to see you on that day or that how he sees you now. But his perfect love demonstrated for us at the cross through the blood. There's no fear in his perfect love you receive it? Yes. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Your love is so amazing. Your love is greater than we've, anything we've ever known. Thank God that you said your Holy Spirit, his job is to shed abroad your love for us into our hearts so that we can have that confidence and that assurance, so that we're not strong in our own deeds or thinking highly, more highly of ourselves than we ought, but we're receiving your love, made new by it. And then the power of that love at work in us transforms our lives and becomes good news to share with others. Thank you <laughs> that you're always better than we thought you were. Thank you that there's such hope to be found in you. Thank you that you're not withholding your love from us, but you're eagerly, eagerly seeking to reveal your love to us. 
so that we can be strengthened. Though we might be discouraged, we can be reminded of your love for us and made new in your love. Thank you, God, that as we see Scripture now, we'll see your righteousness, which is revealed in the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that as we read Scripture now, that we will see your love for us exhibited in so many different ways and described throughout Scripture. Thank you, God, that there's nothing but hope. There's no hidden bad news that your desire for us is hopeful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.